I'm, my name is Ed. If you're new with us, I'm one of the pastors here. David Saw, our family's pastor here at Gateway, is going to bring the word for us. Um, so I'm going to pray for David, and I'll ask you to join me as uh, I pray for our hearts to be open and for God's word to come through David this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what a privilege it is to be able to uh, freely come before you to, to sing your praise. We were made for that, and we get to do that here, and to hear from you, to hear from you. You know, I have a sense, Lord, if we heard, I don't know, um, our favorite celebrity or our favorite politician was going to show up in the parking lot this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we would be there and well, we would be ready to take in every word. And right now we get to hear from the author of the universe and our lives. So I pray for attentive hearts and minds, break open our chests, and massage your word into us. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said, Good morning. Oh, we could do better than that. Good morning. Good morning. All right. I am the family pastor. I have to bring some energy here. So as the family pastor, I get to serve in various roles here in various capacities. And as, as one of the capacities I get to serve in is I have the joy of actually interviewing uh, many of our new um, youth volunteers who want to serve in Kidstown, especially. And as parents, if you weren't aware, from grade six on, you, our students have an open invitation to be part and to participate in the greater good of our church here on Sundays. And so um, I get to interview them. And as part of the on, um, onboarding process, um, we require that I meet with the students and also with the parents. And in that interview, I realized that our students are really amazing because all of our youth students, they really are willing to volunteer their time and their um, energy and their efforts um, for all the right reasons. And they're not serving because they want to um, build up, a, up their college resumes or um, they want to brag about it or they want recognition um, or because their parents are pressuring them to serve. They're not doing it for those reasons, but I genuinely believe that our students are participating and wanting to participate in God's work, in the bigger thing, in something that's bigger than themselves, and they want to make a lasting impact on the greater community. So I found myself asking, so how do I encourage them? How do I remind them of the primary reason for why we serve the church as followers of Jesus Christ? And that one thought caused me to really ask, why do we serve? And many of us who grew up in the church, we just naturally just built into us. We naturally just say, how can I help? And we serve. We volunteer. But why do we serve? Where does that, that motivation, where does that catalyst, that driving for, where does that come from? Why is it part of our nature? How did this happen? So let's state the obvious reasons first. Because these days, I can't assume that the obvious is even obvious anymore. So in general, people want to serve because, could I get the slide, please? Okay, I'll list it off. Um, we have some technical difficulties here. In general, people want to serve. There we go. Because helping others feels good. It does feel good, doesn't it? It creates a sense of belonging. It gives you a sense of purpose. 
Uh, giving helps keep things in perspective. It's contagious. When you see someone else serve and give of themselves, you want to do it too. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember, but there was a commercial from the um, insurance companies, I remember, and uh, that you would see a person walking down the street, and this one guy prevents someone from, uh, he was a, a blind person, and he was about to walk into the traffic, and so he puts his hand down and he stops him, and someone observes this, and then the next opportunity he has to help someone else, he helps, and it goes on and on and on. And so it's contagious that way. Helping others can also help you live longer. It helps you to manage stress and those factors. It will give you a sense of renewal. Uh, you'll boost your self-esteem. Uh, you'll create stronger friendships. And lastly, you become a glass-half-full type of a person. Uh, you become an optimistic person. These are great reasons. However, I couldn't help but as I'm looking at these reasons for why we serve, all about one pretty much more comes out of this motivation. It's like a self, it's, it's for your own benefit. It's almost self-serving reasons. So it's the what's in it for me mindset prevails these reasons. So then, as Christians, what is our primary motivation for participating in God's good work? Well, Apostle Paul quotes Jesus when he says in Acts, it's more blessed to give than to? See, we all know it. We all know it, right? It's more blessed, Jesus says, to give than to receive, and it is in the context of caring for others' needs. But I would say more importantly, it is simply because we have been made part of the body of Jesus Christ. In other words, as part of his body, we do what he does through us. What he desires, we simply do because we're part of him. So let's go to God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. If you have a Bible, please open with me. If not, it's on the screen. But can we go old school? Can we all rise for the reading of God's word? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that will not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an, oh, where would be the sense of seeing? Where, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of um, hearing be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. The head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. 
So here in our text, we can clearly see that Jesus uses the composition of the human body as an example of what it means to be part of him. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Is this news to anyone in here? If it is, you're hearing this for the first time, it's great. I am so glad you're hearing this for the first time because this is some good stuff. But for the rest of us, have we really stopped long enough to really contemplate the statement, to really have like sucked the marrow out of the bone in essence? Do we really understand what it means to be one with Christ? Or are you, if anything like me, you simply check out the moment you hear the body of Christ and you go, ah, I've heard that. Millions of times before. All right, next, next, please. I got this. But this morning, please hear me out on this. Because for many of us, myself included, I don't think we really, really considered what Jesus meant by these words. So come with me as we ask some questions as to what it means to be an integral part of the body of Christ. And by body of Christ, we mean the gathered community of believers who profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, also known as the church. It's you guys. So, here's the question. When am I part of the body of Christ? When do I become one with Christ? When I walk through the church doors? When I join a small group? When I scan a QR code and say, I, I join the church emailing list? Or when I check my child into Kidstown? Or when I blow off the dust and crack open the Bible after 20-year hiatus? Or when I pray the sinner's prayer and invite Jesus into my heart? The answer is yes. It could have been at any one of those moments or combination of those. But looking at it from the organizational perspective, it's yes to all of them. But from the spiritual perspective, it is when a person is, according to verse 13, baptized by one spirit into the fellowship with Christ Jesus. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. We're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit here that is mentioned in Acts 2 when the disciples and other believers of Jesus Christ gathered in the attic when Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And he came in the form of flames, right? Descending upon them. There was a, there was a manifestation that it was visible. People were speaking in multiple languages and speaking boldly, confidently of their faith. And it was clear that something drastic, something different had happened that people have been changed once and for all. We're talking about the encounter that the family of Cornelius encountered. He was a Gentile, and the Spirit came upon them the same way when they were baptized, when they declared Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, in a modern context, we often think of the water baptism, which is great, but the water baptism is an outward declaration of an inner, inner transformation that has already occurred already before, the moment when you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And this reality is symbolized, symbolically shown in the going into the water, the death and the burial of the old self-centered self, and rising again out of the water as a new creation, with Christ at the center of your life, which, is, by the way, is a direct result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. See, none of this is by our truth. We often think it is by my faith. No, it is by God's grace through faith. It is the work of God that has allowed each and every one of us to accept Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that unites us. 
Not our declaration, not our convictions. Yes, those are important, but it is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in us that unites us across all of our differences. It means that in the natural world, therefore the Christian community or the church is a very strange creature. We are unnatural. Any horror film fans out there? It's not the best example, but the only thing that comes to me is Frankenstein. Right? If you know anything about Frankenstein, he's a collection of different body parts from all over, and then he was electrocuted, right? Lightning, and then he came to life. All right? This is not a good illustration in the sense, don't take it too far. That's it. Frankenstein. For the mechanically minded, which is me, uh, I imagine the hybrid car. You have the internal combustion engine, and then you have electric motors. And it's a mesh-up of the two. Oh, something's weird. Or nature lovers. Have you ever heard of something called the duck-billed platypus? Right? It's a weird combination of a duck and a beaver and an otter and who knows what else. But it's a strange but fantastic creature. You get the picture. We are odd. Which of these don't belong? Us. We do not belong in this world. So can we just take a pause and take notice of this? The church, the collective body of Christ, is supposed to be an oddball in this world. Our oddity serves as a constant reminder of the true reality that is God's eternal kingdom that awaits us. So that means we don't have to look, think, and behave like everyone else. We can be odd. Consider this. Where about the church of Jesus Christ would you hope to have a meaningful friendship between Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, Greeks, Romans, servants, masters, men, women, old, young, rich, poor, healthy, sick, and so on. Name it. The church has them all. And if you thought the first century church was an oddball, what about our church now? of our collection of people from all walks of life in an ever-globalized global, world. Just look around the room. Just look around the room, please. Turn to your neighbors and just look around. Take a good look. We're all so very different, aren't we? And it's our difference that makes us so great. So let's say it together right now. Turn to your neighbors, and I want you to do this. Say, look them in the eye and say, you're different. Take a pause, wait, wait, wait. Pause for a moment. Smirk. Give them that smirk and say, and I like it. <laughs> All right, turn to your neighbors. You're different, and I like it. All right. Now, if you find yourself being a little bit queasy about all of this, um, I have really good news for you. The originator of this hodgepodge mess of a community that looks like nothing else is none other than God himself. And if God is behind it, it can't be bad. Verse 18 tells us, God, not us, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose, not what we wanted. He chose to arrange us as he desired. And that's awesome because God knows us best. He knows our strengths. He knows our weakness. And so out of his grace, his grace, God's riches at Christ's expense out of his grace because he sees us and he knows exactly where we ought to be for our own embitterment. God, out of his 
phrase has brought us into this community and brings others who are, are not people who look like us or resemble us or think like us, but who are our complements, brothers and sisters in Christ to shore us up where we lack and vice versa. It's a beautiful network of people loving and serving each other for the benefit of the whole body. Now, in a world devoid of sin, this would be easy. However, we live in a sinful world, do we not? And so this actually proves to be very difficult, or at least it takes tremendous amount of intentionality to keep the unity of Christ. It is not automatic. I wish it were, but it is not. Truth be told, but this is exactly God's intent for the church, for us to be united and be different at the same time. Verses 24 25 tells us, but God has so composed the body, he did this on purpose, a mixed bag of all kinds of people vastly different from one another, that there may be no division in the body. The use of that there may be is so interesting here. God made us different for the purpose that there would be no division in his church. Doesn't that seem odd to you? When we go to create order out of chaos, we tend to sort things that look alike. Um, right now, I'm a father of a toddler, and so let's consider the Lego blocks. Um, I have the Duplo box here, cousin of the Lego block. And for parents, please um, take a breath. It's okay. I know, I know you guys are, you have trauma from Lego blocks, but if it's up to us, we tend to put, you know, Blue with blue, and, and the twos with the twos, and the whites with the whites, and that's how we would organize. But the grand designer of all things wonderful, like our God, he is not interested in creating just order for the sake of order. God is interested in creating something that is useful and functional, and he purposely puts it together this way in a way that often that our children would do. So I'm, I'm cheating a little bit here, so I kind of pre-made it a little bit beforehand for time's sake. And so that's how God tends to create things. And he creates a masterpiece, a one-of-a-kind, a mashup of different colors and different sizes and different pieces into one entity. Now, what are these extra pieces? After all, you only need so many eyes and ears and nose before you start to come, become something not human. Do you know what you do with the extra pair of uh, nose and eyes? You stir another head. But that's a problem, isn't it? Because in the body of Jesus Christ, there's only one headship. And that's the key. God is not talking about a body in generic terms. He's not saying you are part of a body. Anybody. No, he says, you are part of my body, one and only body of Jesus Christ, and I am the head of that body. And so in God's created order, there are no extra pieces. Everyone is unique. Every single piece belongs. Just, a, just take the hand as an example. Do you know how many bones are in your hand to make the hand a hand and to function as a hand? I didn't know this, but I researched a little bit, and I'm told 27 bones, 54, both hands, just for the hand to function 
as a hand. And each bone is unique and different. And if you take one away, your hand can't function as a hand and no more. Division happens when individual pieces are seen as unnecessary or duplicates, something that is easily replaceable. Yeah, that's fine for Lego pieces, not us. Praise be to God and lucky for us, we are one of a kind here. We are all essential and necessary. We are all essential and necessary, Gateway. Whether you are old, whether you are an infant, whether you, are, you have something to offer in the, in the matter of talent, or you look at yourself and go, I have nothing to offer. No, absolutely not. Every single one of you, God created and has placed you here in a gateway in this community, in your family, because you have a role to play. You have something to offer. And without you, we, the body, cannot function properly as God intended. And also, God made us so different so that the members may have the same care for one another, where if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Why? Because the world sees, needs to see that the church community can exist, and that it does exist, and that they can be part of it. That this kind of community is not just ideal in, in someone's dreams, but it is real. It does exist, it can exist, and it's doing well, and that they can be part of this community as well. Our neighbors, our teammates, our classmates, our coworkers all need to see that their life can be so much more when they see the church, the gathered believe body of Christ, grieving together, laughing together, and doing life together. So when, when does this happen? Back to our original question, when am I part of the body of Christ? Verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Now, not tomorrow, not once I get my life together, and not you will be, but you are now and forever the body of Christ. And united in Jesus as individual members, we still get to hold on to our distinctions because unity in Christ does not mean uniformity. In Christ, there is much diversity in his body. So what? Here's the so what. Apostle Paul, in the following chapter, chapter 13, goes on to expound that the purpose of the gathering of believers in a community is essentially to invite others into God's family as we love one another and others as we have been loved by God. God has painstakingly assembled all of us here to do his good works, to love him and others well. And we get to be part of his work. We get to participate in that work. And when we are all engaged in his work together, things get a whole lot better. As a closing example, I, I, this came to mind for those of us who are into sports. And even if not, I think you can follow. Just take any of the sports that you, you, you um, like. Golf, baseball, tennis, ping pong, pickleball, squash, volleyball, basketball, name it, even martial arts. One essential element that makes the biggest difference in performance is, I would say, it's the follow-through. The follow-through is not the initial movement or the crack of the bat contacting the ball, which is the exciting part. But the follow-through is that final push, that, that oomph of the bat pushing the ball, right? the racket hitting the tennis ball, the, the hitting the golf ball, the ping-pong paddle 
making the final spin, or even the dribble and the layup of the basketball and the little finger push, the final push. And if you're into martial arts, martial arts, it's the, when you punch, it's not just, it's the, the hip and the shoulder rotation and you pop. It's that, that's the follow through. The follow through makes a tremendous amount of difference in the final product. It's the difference between a grounder and a home run. So if you're committed to being a follower of Jesus Christ, it's wonderful. I'm glad you're in and we welcome you. And now that you're one piece of the whole and you've accepted Jesus into your heart, won't you follow through on your commitment to Jesus? Now, this may look different for each of us in general. For each of us, but in general, it's the daily engaging in the lives of others, the getting messy, serving, and connecting with others where God has uniquely made you to meet those needs of the community. That's how we follow through. Just as there are many different sports we can follow through on, there are many ways we can also follow through on our commitment to Jesus Christ. It's, it's where you're all in. There are no reservations. When you're following through, just like the song we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. I'm all in. And these are not grand big things. Oftentimes these are the little things, the things that people will never praise you for. It's the text message to a small group member. Hey, I missed you today. You're doing all right. It's the phone call. Hey, how did that go? I, I, you had the interview. How did that go? You had the test. How did that go? It's the email. Hey, I found this resource. I thought it would be really helpful to you in your situation and sending it off. The encouraging note. The meal trains. They say, we know that you, your family is important to us. We love you. A hug. Because the human touch is very important. A nod of recognition. I see you. I recognize you. A hello by name. This is huge, parents. For those who are teenagers, they're not here right now, but if you know them by name and you say, hi, good morning, so-and-so, oh, that is huge. That's like, mm, right here in the heart for the teenagers. Like, you know me? You care about me? You remember my name? Really? It makes a difference. Picking up a trash that a child left behind and picking it up with a joy and a smile and a prayer and a blessing for them saying, I know a child left this. Praise God that we have a child in this sanctuary who left trash. And you give glory to him. It's only a moment of your time. It's a slight finger touch. The follow through. It's a slight thing. Seems insignificant. But it makes all the difference. And it makes a lasting impact on the body of Christ. And get this. There's additional bonus for follow-through. Not only does it allow us, the whole body, to perform at our peak, but when you follow through with that whole twist in the whole body, guess what you do? You prevent injury. You prevent burnout. Therefore, to engage with the rest of the body is to love the body of Christ. It's the loving thing to do. If you say, I love Jesus, follow through is not an option. Would you join this body and allow us to do what we do best when we are together and follow through because my arm can do only so much. I need the shoulders. I need the hips. I need the whole body with me to do this, to knock that ball out of the park. 
So gateway, let's follow through by engaging and participating right where God, the good Lord, has placed each and every one of us as part of his body with thanksgiving and joy in our hearts. Because it's in the follow-through where relationships are forged and communities are built. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you do not engage this world and think like us. You are so different. You are so unique. You are amazing, Father. Who would have thought of creating something useful and purposeful by making things different intentionally. But you did. You made each and every one of us in your image, but we're all unique and different. And the things that we often chide ourselves for saying, why am I not more like that person? Or like, why can't I be more like this? But God, you look at us and say, no, that is exactly how I need you to be. Accept it, embrace it, and go forward with it. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have allowed and you have brought together this thing called the church, the body of Christ in this world, where anybody can look at it and realize that, wow, how in the world are those people serving and working together that harmoniously? They are so different, and they are so odd. We thank you for that, Lord. May we embrace our oddity, knowing that we look nothing like the world, but we look everything like our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we follow after. Lord, May we follow through on our commitment to you and to one another, Lord. And in those little ways, Lord, that we participate, Father, you do the great things. You transform the lives of each member, Lord, because you love them. You love each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.